Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning and welcome to Lighthouse Community. My name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors here and super glad you are with us. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Lighthouse Online, wherever you're joining us from, and then also Fostoria Community. Uh, So yeah, we are super glad you guys are with us as well. And uh, welcome to all the guests in the house this morning. Uh, What I want to do is I just want to read a couple passages of scripture to start our time together and kind of set the table. And so uh, the first one here is in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Colossians 1.24 I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. James chapter 1 verse 2, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I don't know where you're at, but... Does anyone else read passages like these and think, um, I'm in the wrong class, right? I did not get my schedule properly, and I'm not supposed to be here, right? Because it's like Jesus is saying, persecution for doing right is a blessing. Paul writes that I want to, I desire to suffer with Christ, What James is writing, consider every opportunity, every trial, every challenge, an opportunity of great joy. You know, think about this. It's like you just fell down and you broke your leg. Okay, imagine this is what's happened. You're on the ground. You're in shock. Your leg is broken. Your friend comes running up to you. You're like, oh, good, my friend's here. And your friend goes, oh, I'm so jealous. You get to suffer, and I have to live with my own good life here, right? It's like that's, that's, that's what seems like what the Bible is saying here, that those who suffer, that those who go through really tough stuff, they have some unique blessing that people who don't suffer don't get to experience. That's, that's what these passages seem to be communicating, and passages like these really bother us. They, they, they rub against us raw because our culture doesn't know. We don't know how to talk about suffering in general, but we also don't know how to talk about rejoicing in the midst of our suffering. Because when suffering shows up in our lives, what's our first response? Run. Get out of there. Beat it. Conquer it. Right? Run away from that as fast as you possibly can. But these passages are saying something different. And so what that means is either... The Bible is wrong, 
or we are out of alignment with the character of God. And I'm going to give you a hint. The Bible is not wrong. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Put that in your notes. Um, <laughs> what, what I want to do today is I want to show you from the scriptures how we can actually suffer well. And the one thing that you and I need to actually see God transform suffering into a season of rejoicing and a season of blessing instead of what it may be intended for. So uh, as Matt mentioned, I almost wanted to come up and introduce, introduce myself as Matt as well, right? Like we got so many Matts in this church. But anyways, uh, turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, or you can click over there. We're, we're wrapping up our series we've been in called The Invitation, and uh, we've been learning how to rely on God through our suffering. And so uh, week one, you'll remember, we, we were very, very practical about how to walk with each other through suffering. Week two, Pastor Matt um, helped us see where suffering came from in the very beginning. And then last week, we answered the question, uh, how does God use suffering in my life? And we, we came to see from the scriptures that suffering is this intentional invitation from God for us to rely on him, to learn how to rely on him in ways we couldn't without it. And so uh, we're going to start right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to read verse 3, and then we'll go through verse 11. Um, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, now today we're focusing and we're landing this series. We're looking at verses 9, 10, and 11 together. And so what I want to do is just very quickly walk you through three truths that, uh, that come out of this passage. The first one is this, God has already rescued you. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, then God has already rescued you. And what Paul is doing is he remembered that he had put his faith in the God who raises the dead, right? And who delivered us, and that's past tense, by the way. I want to make that point. He has already delivered us from a deadly peril. And it was that truth that really sustained Paul through the suffering that they were facing in Asia. And it's that truth that's our reminder 
that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest moment in all of time and space. And it's the one moment that actually gives meaning to everything else, especially our lives and especially the suffering that you and I face in our lives. Now, now when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, one of the things we're talking about is the fact that Jesus died. You, You have to understand that, that Jesus literally physically died on the cross. That's a very important thing to understand. And and the gospel gives us very clear evidence of this. You'll remember that there were two other criminals that were crucified alongside of Jesus. Um, And the Romans come along, and what do they do to the two criminals to speed up the process of death? Break their legs. Breaks their legs, right? Because it's like, hey, come on, we got, we got you know, Passover dinner to get to. We can't have you guys up here. And so they break their legs so that they'll die quicker. They come to Jesus and they realize they don't have to break his legs because he's already dead. What do they do? They take a spear, they jam it in his side, they pull the spear out, and when they do, the blood in the water flows separated out of his side, which is a clear indicator that Jesus is already physically dead which is why they don't break his legs. But the scriptures are clear that Jesus died. And it was the dead Jesus who was buried. And for three days, everybody lived with the reality that Jesus was dead, right? Sadducees and Pharisees and temple priests, they're excited, they're happy. The disciples and his followers are devastated. The movement's over. Well, what we thought Jesus came to do, he didn't come to do because it's, it's dead. he's dead. It's done, right? And that's what makes Sunday morning so spectacular. That's what makes it so amazing. That's what makes it amazing that when you show up to the garden, that the tomb, the, the, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. When you look inside, it's empty. And then you see Jesus is alive. He's like showing himself to people. And it's not like one guy in a cave by himself has a vision that nobody else can confirm. It's literally dozens and hundreds of people see the risen Christ. They eat food with him, right? Like they're eating broiled fish with him on some of these occasions that this guy is alive. This this Jesus who was dead is now alive. And the point is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because God rescued Jesus from death, that means that God can rescue you from death as well. That's what that's communicating. And Jesus was the first resurrection, and everyone else who believes in him and puts all of their weight on him will experience the exact same resurrection that Jesus experienced as well, right? He's the first fruit of all the other ones that come behind him. And so you can use that. You can use the resurrection to guide you through the suffering that you face in your life, right? Because you realize that you've already been rescued. That's really important to understand. And that leads us to the next truth that Paul points to is this, is that God will rescue you again. He's already rescued you, but he will rescue you again. And so that verse 10 could actually be translated God himself will rescue us for himself. God himself will will rescue us for himself. And so you see that God's already rescued us in Christ, and he's going to do it again. You know what Paul's pointing to? Heaven. He's pointing to heaven. 
He's talking about that eternal future with him. He's saying that death is not the end of life, that death in this life is actually only a transition from this world into eternity with God. That's all it is. It's a doorway you pass through. That's it. It holds no more power over you than that. This is what Paul is pointing to. And, and that's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is really communicating. The whole chapter is amazing. But we're just going to focus in on the back end of that, uh, verse starting in verse 51. Paul wrote this. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about, right? He's talking about this future transformation that's still to come for those who are in Christ. You know, it's, it's the caterpillar, caterpillar, that's easy for me to say, it's the caterpillar that transforms into a butterfly, right? You think about it, you got this, you got this, little, this little caterpillar, right? He's going down, he's, he, you know, just eating the, the leaf, and then one day he wraps himself up in this little tent, right? And you're like, what's going on in that tent? But he stays in there for so long, you figure it's just, he died, right? It's over. And then one day a miracle happens where the tent breaks open and out comes this totally different creature. Can you imagine if you're the caterpillar, right? You, you, you went to sleep one way, you wake up another and you're like stretching. You're like, oh, right? Shut up, right? You're like, oh my goodness, what is going what is going on here, right? It's like that's that's what resurrection for those in Christ will look like. That death is just this door into the eternal presence of God. There's a final rescue that's still to come that God is going to rescue us for himself. You have to... See, the reason this is important is your suffering is not the end. I know you feel like it is, but it's not the end, right? And, and actually, he's calling us to look ahead when heaven is this place where God redresses every injustice. He brings healing to every wound, and he brings an end to every aspect of suffering, Right? And you're there in the presence of the Almighty God. And so what Paul's inviting us to do is to look ahead to that. And here's the third truth, is that Jesus' resurrection gives, us, gives hope to believers. Jesus' resurrection gives hope to believers. There, there is no more practical gift than hope to somebody who's facing suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus' resurrection provides. It provides hope. If, if you take away the resurrection from Christianity, do you know what it is? You know what Christianity is left as? 
It's, it's nothing. It's a religion, right? That's all it is. And Paul actually writes in another letter, he says, if there's no resurrection, then as Christians, we're to be pitied more than anybody else. Because if all we have is hope in this life, that is a waste. And he says, I'm the first one gone. I'm out. But the resurrection is real. And you have to understand that the resurrection of Christ is, is the cornerstone of Christianity. When you read through the book of Acts, you see the apostles, they are constantly preaching again and again and again the resurrection of Christ, right? And so it's the resurrection that gives every believer hope that you're, that you're no longer an enemy of God, but you're actually adopted as a son. You now have the spirit of God living within you, right? And you're being transformed and called to your home. And, and so just, I want you to imagine for a second, you're, you're in a war, okay? You're in like a, a literal war, and you got like your squad, I don't know, what is that, like 10, 12, 15 people, and right, you're like, you're going out, you're going to go out on a mission with your squad, and, and you're out there, and all of a sudden, you get separated, and you're by yourself, and you're alone, and you realize that you've just been surrounded by the enemy, and there's no way for you to fight your way out. You, there's no way you can't get, there's nothing's going to happen. It's like, what do you do? You start realizing, I'm captured. There's no, what are they going to, and you start, what are they going to do to me? How are they going to torture me? Like, how is my life going to end? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to, like, pull my fingernails out? Are they, are they going to waterboard me? Like, are they going to make me listen to Mariah Carey Christmas music until I want to die? Like, what are, I don't know if I can take it, right? And you're just wondering, what all are they going to take you through in that moment? And so you get back to their camp, and, and you're ready for this moment, but instead of torture and instead of death, your enemy washes your wounds, and starts to take care of you very, very kindly, very generously. They give you new clothes, actually some of the best. They're not tattered, you know, that were left over somewhere. They're the best clothes. They begin to gift you with overwhelming honor and wealth, right? They invite you to sit at the head of the table at the celebration of all of that, right? Imagine that that's your experience once the enemy captures you. Wouldn't that change your mind about the enemy and who you thought they were? Listen, some of you, you need to hear this. God doesn't want to kill you. God doesn't desire to punish you. In fact, what he's doing is he's come to rescue you. He's come to grant you real legitimate life like you've never experienced before. That's what this is all about. And he's done that through Jesus' death and his resurrection. And here's where some of the rub is. This is where it's really critical, okay? Is that if you, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. You can actually believe in all of his teaching. You can believe in his virgin birth. You can believe in all of the things they did, the miracles, the healings, the walking on the water. You can even put your faith in his death. But if you do not have your faith in his resurrection, what that means is you're still separated from God. You're still dead in your sin, right? You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you because that is central. But when you do know God, through Christ and his resurrection, you begin to see that you don't have to be afraid of God. Why? Because you're actually drawn to love him. Because he loved you first. That's where it starts. And so you have to see that Jesus' resurrection gives hope 
to believers. Now, all of that cascades into this central thing of we're answering the question, how do we suffer well? How do we suffer well? Well, this is what Paul is writing in the passage. He says, how do you suffer well? You set your hope on the resurrection through your suffering. You set your hope on the resurrection in and through your suffering. And so what he's saying is your hope has to go beyond. I think things will get better in my current situation. I think things will work out. Because here's the reality. They may work out and they may not. You may experience healing in this world and you may not. Right? Because we're not God. We're not the sovereign one over all of creation. Only God knows that. And, but you have to know that no matter what happens in this life, no matter how it plays out, right? no matter what, how the cards get dealt out, that the best is still to come. Your best life is not now. Your best life is still to come in the, pre- in the full, unfiltered presence of the Lord. That's the best life. And it's still on the way for those who are in Christ. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that he was passing through. He knew that this world was not his home. And that is true for every born-again believer as well. And so what we have to do is we have to resist building brick houses in this world. We have to resist planting our roots deep and planting our hopes deep in this world. Because this isn't our home. We hold loosely to the things of this world and we cling tightly to Christ over and above anything else. And so Paul is saying, you set your hope ahead. You set your hope on what Christ has already accomplished, but you set your hope ahead on what is still to come. And I appreciate what the reformer John Calvin wrote when he said this. He said, the word hope, I take for faith. And indeed, hope is nothing else but the constancy of faith. He's saying, maintaining faith. This is where hope is. You keep your faith. You maintain your faith. You nurture your faith. You water your faith. You keep reminding yourself of what Christ has already done. You look ahead to what's waiting for you. This is the constancy of faith. And so maintain your faith in Christ over and above absolutely everything else. Because nothing else can save you. Nothing else will save you. It was never meant to. Nothing else can hold up underneath the weight of what you need it to. Only Jesus can sustain you in your suffering and rescue you from it. That's it. Nothing else. Now, earlier this week, I had all kinds of other things that I had intended to, that I had intended to share with you today. And in the further, we kept, getting, we kept getting closer and closer to Sunday, and I came to the realization, it's like, I don't think we need more instructions. I don't think we need more good ideas. I don't think we need, you know, to, to like, this is how you do this. And that's not wrong. It's not bad. But it's like where we are as a church family today, I just didn't sense that that's what we needed. And so what we're going to do instead is we are going to, right now, set our hope on the resurrection no matter where we are in our season of life. And, and here's how we're going to do that. So um, Jenny, our worship uh, director, is actually going to come up, and she's just going to play some music for, for us. And, and we're just going to kind of sit in a moment of silence, and then we're going to read through some passages. They're not going to be on the screen, because I just want you to listen to those words. Hey, Jenny, hold a second before you play, because what I want to do is I want to have just a, just a moment of legitimate silence. Before we start, and so maybe maybe when I start reading the first passage, if you'll you'll start playing for us, if we can do that. But I, I want us to just really set our minds and our spirits and our hope on Christ. And so what I want to ask you to do, however you want to do it, you can you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, you can leave them open, you can um, whatever. But whatever it takes for you to set your mind 
on the person of Christ, on, the, on God, on the Spirit, I want you to do that. But we're going to take a moment of silence, okay? Thank you to that person. They tried so hard to hold it in, right? They, they're like, I don't now's not the time to cough. Lord, I thank you for silence. For some of us, we're in a very, very uncomfortable place right now because we don't know what to do with silence. And others of us, we have longed deeply for just a moment like this. And I'm wondering, Holy Spirit, if you would help us to um, push distractions to the side and just really dial in to who you are and what you have for us. Help us to hear scripture fresh, even right now. We long to hear your voice far more than we hear any other voice. I want you to listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside 
every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hear that, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every Every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's how we set our hope on the resurrection, even in the midst of our suffering. We're not pretending that what we're going through is not real, or it doesn't bother us, or or that the heartache is not legitimate, or, or the physical pain is some illusion. We don't pretend that what's happening is not real. Instead, what we do is we choose to set our vision and our hope on something greater. We set our hope on someone more powerful than the suffering that we're experiencing. Passages like these, passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me encourage you, if you've not sat down and spent time to just meditate, to read that and meditate on that, let me encourage you to do that. Here's a thought. You know what you might do? You actually might invite some friends to your house for dinner sometime. And one of the ways you spend your time together is to read 1 Corinthians 15 and not dissect it and talk about like, what does this mean? What does that look like? And how do we, but to just read it and let the truth of it soak over top of you and meditate and worship the Lord for his goodness. You know, you can do that. You, you actually don't have to wait for Sunday morning to worship the Lord. 
You don't have to wait for Sunday morning to read scripture in the presence of other believers and to pray together and to, and to praise God for what he's done. If you invite people over to your house for a party, you get to set the agenda. Right? And so when we're facing suffering, look to Jesus. Set your hope on the resurrection and let it guide you through the season that you're in. And I know maybe you're skeptical. You're going, hey, how how in the world is thinking about the resurrection, thinking about heaven, thinking about eternity, thinking about being rescued, how is that going to help somebody who's suffering from like real legitimate pain in their body, real legitimate pain in their mind or in their heart? Like how is that supposed to work? That sounds Pollyanna. It sounds impractical. I, I get that, okay? I understand that. And yet, when we, we read it, we read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. When Jesus was going through, like, he was being humiliated. He was being tortured. He was suffering on the cross. And you know, the, one of the things that led him to endure that suffering, it was looking ahead. That's what Hebrews 12, 2 is. He endured the cross by looking ahead to the joy. It wasn't there yet, but it was coming. The joy Jesus was thinking about, he was thinking about the fact that you would be there in eternity with the Father and you would be there. That the pain he was enduring was going to open the door for millions, billions even, to put their faith in him and have a right relationship with the Father from there on out. It's how he endured the cross, looking ahead. Listen, God can move you. God can move you in suffering to actually go to rejoicing. We can actually rejoice in our suffering. And again, I know that sounds weird. And you go, how do you, how do you have suffering in your own life and you rejoice about it? It sounds so foreign, but we already do it. We already rejoice in suffering. Did you know that? If you're a Christ follower, you already rejoice in suffering. You know how I know? The last time you thanked Jesus that he died on the cross for you, that's rejoicing in suffering. The last time you praised him, for standing in your place where you rightly deserved to be tortured and humiliated and killed on display for everybody to see. When you rejoice in that, that's rejoicing and suffering. And so we actually already know how to do it. Where the struggle is, the struggle is, is when rejoicing, or excuse me, when suffering shows up in my life. That's the challenge to rejoice in it. But the Holy Spirit can empower you, can grow you. God can get you to the place where you actually rejoice in your suffering. That's that's the key to suffering well. I want you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes, and I want you to just simply ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want you to listen to him, to what he has to say. Father, I don't think that you're calling any of us to go out and and look for suffering and go put ourselves in it unnecessarily. What I do know is you're inviting us not to run from it either. That we don't have to be afraid. That we don't have to let it overwhelm us. But in fact, 
The powerful act of setting our hope on the resurrection of Jesus Christ can transform what, what everybody else from the world's perspective would say, that is horrible. Nobody should have to go through that. And maybe that's true. But you haven't called us to mimic the ways of those who are walking without you. You've called us to place our trust in the truth of Scripture, into the person of Christ, into the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and into your good plan, even when that plan comes wrapped up with the wrapping of suffering. Would you bring us to the place where we can trust you in new, fresh ways, and we can experience again the God who raises from the dead? If you're new to Lighthouse, one of the things that we love to do here is to pray with and for one another. So let me tell you what's going to happen real quick. The band's going to come up on stage and lead us in one more song. And it's during this last song that we're going to have prayer leaders who are available in each corner of the room. So there'll be one up here on my left, your right, one back by the double doors, one by the sound booth, one up here by the cross. Um, There should be wearing uh, little little tags that say prayer team on there. And so that's one way you can identify them. And they're willing and able and ready to pray with you about any area of your life at all. And, and I hope you'll, you'll take advantage of that because you don't have to be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. Like, you really don't. And we can pray about anything. We can pray about something we've talked about this morning, something else. It doesn't matter. But there's, God does remarkable things through prayer. God changes situations through prayer. God changes people through prayer. God moves remarkably. Sometimes he's simply waiting for us to pray. And then he moves because he wants you to know that that came from him and not some other coincidence that happened or took place. And so uh, if you're here at Lighthouse, I'm going to ask you if you'll stand right now. Uh, If you're at Fostoria, they're probably giving you some other instructions right now. But I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to pray as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw absolutely every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.